Malcolm X said the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Welcome back to Being Heard, Two Black Women, Coffee and Conversations. I'm Leah, and with me is my co-host, Dana. We have a special guest today, Mayor Quentin Hart of Waterloo, Iowa. Good morning, Dana. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, Leah? I'm doing great. Excited to get beyond the holidays, and hey, we're in December. Good morning, Mayor Hart. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Glad that you could be here to get into this. So, Mayor Hart, you are the first African-American mayor in the city of Waterloo, Iowa. Can you tell us what that journey was like to get to this position? Well, I'm very fortunate. I was born and raised in the city of Waterloo. Uh, my parents, Grossi and Lily Hart, uh, moved from uh, Mississippi. They didn't know each other, uh, but they came to the city of Waterloo uh, with their families looking for opportunities. And my dad ended up getting a job at John Deere and my mom worked at Allen Hospital. I think I counted uh, my mom walked from our house across the highway to work probably about 19,000 times. And my father worked at John Deere and went in probably about 3.30 every morning to earn extra money to be able to uh, put me through school. And so I grew up uh, with that type of work ethic. I graduated from Waterloo East High School, um, went to colleges. Um, but I always had those questions about why why does my side of town not look like the other side of town? Why aren't certain things happening? We had this uh, place called Chamberlain's, which was a munitions plant. And uh, during uh, the Gulf War, uh, they created uh, parts for uh, the military. But we always knew that, like, man, there's some contamination there. Right. And no one was moving quickly enough. Um, you know, I knew that we had a lot of dilapidated houses. So, you know, I just said one of the best ways for me able to be able to get involved, be engaged is stop talking about it, but get out there and be about it. So I ended up running for a state legislature seat and, and, and I lost. Right. What year <laughs> yeah. was that? Ooh, ooh, that's going to go way back, like 2000 and. <laughs> 2001, I believe. Uh, and then uh, uh, I don't know if you ever met State Representative Deb Barry. I know the uh, name. She she ended up uh, winning in a four person race, but she was a city councilwoman. So I said, OK, she vacated that seat. I'm going to run for city council. And I lost again. Right. Oh. I know. I was, I was I was working hard. I, it was five precincts. I won four precincts and lost one. Okay. Uh, to Mr. NK, God, God rest his soul. So I just got busy, worked as hard as I could. I formed a nonprofit uh, that focused on, we, we fixed like 300 houses for um, elderly, those with income challenge or physically disabled residents for free. I worked at Hawkeye Community College at the time uh, in recruitment. So really just got involved in the community and stopped focusing on an office because I felt like there are still things that you can do. Uh, there's things that you ways that you can help the community. So anything from sweeping floors at meetings that people were having to serving on large foundations. 
um, you know, I did it. And, and I wanted to learn too. Like I, there was no board that I sat on, but I didn't go in there and learn how to do it. If they're doing it, right. that doesn't mean that we can't do it in our community. So I ran for that city council seat again. I ended up winning. Uh, then I won another term. And then I ran for mayor in 2015 and began office in 2016. Uh, so there's no city manager, no city administrator. Um, so, you know, I'm up close and personal, uh, supervising our department heads, daily activities to being out, uh, kissing babies. Well, no kissing babies anymore. Right. After COVID, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, just being out there. But honestly, I like the way that I, um, made it in office. Uh, you know, I had a chance to work for people, right? There was no, I didn't, I didn't get that call from folks to say, Hey, you need to run for this office back then. You know, I got out there and worked as hard as I can. I stayed active uh, because that is just the way God positioned my heart to be right. Just getting busy, staying active and serving people. And so the way I, the way I look at this role is not like I'm way up here. I look at it now, I am responsible to 68,000 people that can call me at any time of the night in which they do to tell me uh, what their dreams are or what their challenges are. And they expect some type of response. Now, I have this question. When you were growing up there and you're noticing these inequities and these disparities, did you ever think, you know, I'm going to leave Waterloo and I'm going to move to the South or move somewhere else? And, and I got to laugh at that question because think about it. I told you my parents moved up um, in the 60s from Mississippi, right? But as soon as I got out of college, I was headed to Atlanta, right? <laughs> I, <that's, laughs> I was directly to Atlanta. I came home uh, from school and I was like, I'm out of here. I, I can't stand the cold. Right. And I just wanted to be where uh, I thought there was tremendous opportunities um, for college graduates. Right. And I was one and I was black. And so, yeah, I was headed to Atlanta. Didn't okay. quite make it. <laughs> I was a way of doing it to you. That's <laughs> just what I did. Because right. I, got, uh, I got here. I'm still here. Like I'm with you. It's cold. Oh, my right. God. So um, heading to Atlanta, obviously, is different than being in Iowa. Um, but back to Waterloo, you were talking about crossing the tracks and stuff, um, what you saw over there versus what you saw um, on both sides. So when it comes to you as mayor, what are some progresses that you're seeing as in your community? Um, who are your champions of equity? Well, you know, one is, is, is trying to create uh a equity model of leadership right people people get equity and equality confused you know equality is giving the same parts to me equity is uh giving people exactly what they need to be successful and for so long you know in the different wards i, I know the different wards here uh people were saying that one ward got something the other one didn't so you know that that's what you need to address. So the first thing I did when I became a city councilman is to start to advocate for specific things uh, in my ward. I wasn't in charge of our staff yet, 
So I advocate for different things in the war. And I, and I was trying to find different ways to be able to do things like, okay, our part, uh, you know, Sullivan Park, they probably haven't seen upgrades in so long. City's cash strapped. We got 60 parts. Like you can only do so much. So I formed a relationship with our community development director, right? And I, and I work with our leisure services so that community development, they're able to be able to do things in those concentrated areas with the, with the, um, the socioeconomic tracks, right? So we were able to partner to do things uh, one at a time. You know, I think about, you, you hear the statement that in, in every black neighborhood, there's a liquor store in a church, right? And an so, yeah, it's certainly not a wine and spirits like it is in some communities. It's the liquor store. There's no, there's no cheese. There's no yeah. cheese spread in some of these, right? So, so, but when 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 you really when I and I started to think, that's a zoning issue, yes. right? Because we had had like liquor stores that was you know you would think you know you heard of bar fights and those things. But how do you have a, a place where you only go, come and go, having more fights and, and shootings and those things happening there? So that's a zoning issue. So I was able to work to put together uh, overlay districts so that you can't put another. Now, I'm not saying I don't drink, right? Don't get me wrong. Uh, but an overproliferation of them in certain areas is not good. And so, you know, trying to think about how to solve, you know, the problems with the mindset of today versus with the same mindset that created them in the first place. And then so now as mayor, you know, it's it's working with our city departments and trying to see how we can create an equity mindset. You know, and I can give you one example. We have uh, two pools, right? Uh, the city cannot sustain two pools. You okay. got one over in the uh, the west side of town and you have one over in the east side of town. The one on the west side is a golf course. The houses are trimmed and nice and all those things. And so, uh, you know, we, we took a look at it. Uh, that $8 million would be better served being, a, being another swimming pool. And then you go over to the area where I grew up at um, you have that area I told you about Chamberlain's, uh, you have two parts that are separated. You have a nice golf course every Sunday. Um, there's about 300 people playing basketball, couple hundred playing soccer. And so instead of taking that and putting a pool right back and not doing anything else, it looks like really a barren wasteland in parts of it. So we developed a concept to reimagine and redevelop the entire area. So there won't be a $8 million pool, but there will be $8 million reinvestment into that entire area, uh, all inclusive park for every ability, uh, splash pad for the kids that stays open mm -hmm. uh, six months of the year versus two to three months for the pool. Uh, brand new um, basketball courts and a skating rink around it because people are asking uh, to skate. And so completely changing that entire landscape. Um, but, you know, that's there's equality and there's equity. What did that air? What does the area need? And so I try to instill that into 
uh, my department heads. Um, I try to lead by that example and not just trying to do the same cookie cutter um, approaches that we've taken to uh, solving problems. And that's the mindset that I'm trying to uh, develop uh, within those that I work with. Is it perfect? No, but everybody gonna agree? No, but you know, history, history will, will hopefully tell that, you know, we did the best uh, with the resources that we have for community transformation. What has the response to that been? What is the community saying about th that proposal? Depends who you ask, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know yeah. uh, you know, some of my some of my closest colleagues, right? Um, you know, don't agree with it. It's like you're taking the pool away from us. You're you're we don't have a pool. You know, sixty years ago, they, they, they it's what they used to do is uh take stuff uh and then you have then you have you know some other people that are like we need transformation so you know i think it, it it's a it's a lesson for me to learn uh how to better communicate probably with some of these things um and but it's also um the mentality is, although there may be criticism, what is the greater good? And so that is what I try to stay focused on. Uh, what is the greater good? How more people can be served? And what what makes sense, um, at, you know, right then? So, yeah, not everybody's been happy. But uh, oftentimes when you when when you go to people and you say, oh, they're taking a pool, uh, and you don't tell them you're doing anything else. <laughs> That's that happens. So I need to do a better job communicating myself. Uh, greater good, but you know, I, w one thing. I, one thing that I was thinking about, and that even though, like, you know, with while I'm in office, and you can tangibly see things changing, that we are we are still dealing with trauma, right? We're still dealing with the trauma of the, the 60s and 70s where there wasn't reinvestment back into our areas. And so when you see something or hear something, you're probably like, uh-uh. But in actuality, in actuality, it's a good thing. But because we've had so much taken from us, it's hard to see past that. I bet it takes a lot of like basically building trust um, with people. Um, because you got to be able to, like you said, heal the trauma or what was done in the past to you to say that, hey, but no, there's just that way. Um, so with that, what do you think is missing from keeping equity from being achieved in the, your community and in Iowa? Well, uh, in the community, uh, we're taking steps. Um, but, you know, you, you have a community with, um, with uh, uh, some people that are uh, in poverty situations, right? You have some people that are thriving, but it is to understand that whether you live over there, you live over here, we're all in this together. We can have wins together. And so we've been trying to go back in and, and use models like uh, the historic Walnut neighborhood area where 
in the 60s, it was a, a civil rights riots, uprising came through area, uh, torn down, places burned. You know, it took us 50 to 60 years to get back into that neighborhood and start to do real community building by partnerships and collaborations where our philanthropy, our neighborhood organizations have gotten together and we're changing that area. And then we've expanded to the church road area, heavy concentration of uh, immigrants and, and blacks in the area. And we're holding landlords accountable. We're moving in that direction and we're working with some amazing partners, but it takes people uh, coming together and for the community to understand that a win here is is a win everywhere and people are starting to hopefully buy into uh collaboration as a key to being able to make a uh, good change what are some of those other positive things that you have going on i know um having written about the bank of jabez and Rashonda young's work like how transformative is something like that being um created there in Waterloo? Well, in 2018, uh, the city of Waterloo was uh, ranked the worst place for African-Americans to live. Um, and, you know, there's been conversations, there's been philanthropy and people coming together. But one of the greatest things that came out of this uh, is the 24-7 Black. The 24-7 Black is a business accelerator because that report identified lack of entrepreneurship. So they came together, talented, um, uh, black folks came together and put this accelerator together for black business. They graduated over 40 plus uh, black businesses within the last two years. Uh, Rashonda, who has always been a resource to people because she is has entrepreneur, entrepreneur all in her spirit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, she is working with those businesses, but also now uh, on the capital side, uh, she's able to form the Bank of Jabez so that it can continue to be another vehicle uh, to help empower the community and reinvest uh, back into neighborhoods, into businesses. You know, sometimes by the time we even walk into a bank, um, we're already um, uh, told no just by the very nature of our skin. And, and that's not me just saying that. That's statistically proven. If you take a look, one out of seven uh, black businesses within the first year receive some type of startup loans to operate. Right. And so this is statistically proven. So to be able to remove just that initial barrier for people to have access to capital is going to be a game changer. And she's a she's a pioneer on multiple levels here for the city of Waterloo. She's even spoken uh, at, at the at Congress uh, about various issues. So it's going to be mean everything. But seeing all of us step up and say we're not going to allow this to define uh, who we are as a community has been one of the greatest things I've seen happen from all of this. Wow, that's amazing. Who are some of the other community leaders or kind of unsung heroes doing work in the community that are transforming Waterloo? Well, I have to go to um, Sharina Silas. Um, Sharina works with CUNA uh, uh, Mutual. Uh, she's also uh, been my campaign manager, right? But Sharina has been able to work with philanthropic organizations and with her company to bring in more investment into our city than 
anyone that I know of currently. Um, we also have Mr. Rodney Anderson, uh, who's an entrepreneur here, who also is building uh, the first uh, grocery store called All In Grocers um, right here in the city, um, uh, African-American owned and operated will be. Uh, so that's exciting. We have um, folks like Joy Briscoe, who uh, works with the SHIP program. And uh, we have Felicia Knowles, who uh, was formerly with the city, but now at um, Tyson's. Mr. Rudy Jones as uh, our community development director, uh, Sherman Wise, premier staffing. I mean, we have an incredible group of um, Blacks that are uh, changing the face of leadership within our local community. They're, they're working well across the board with everyone, uh, incredibly sharp. And that's just, that's just a few. And there's going to be some that watch this interview and like, man, I can't believe uh, he didn't mention me. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, just incredible, incredible talent uh, that we have here as well. That sounds so good. I'm almost like I'm ready to move to Waterloo then. Um, come on, come on. We, we got you taken care of. When I first moved <laughs> here, that's all I heard about um, when um, we had our side conversations about like Atlanta and stuff. I was always looking for areas that had a concentration of us because it comes down to, you know, where can I go get my hair? Where am I going to go get the things that, you know, I'm accustomed to having? Yeah, I wanted to know um, a little bit more about, you know, you've talked about what's next for the city. You've talked about this big pool project and the re revitalization that's going on. What um, are some other things that you want to work on during your tenure as mayor? Well, we have a, a 2030 vision plan. Uh, number one on that vision plan is flying the W, and it's talking about our city. Uh, sometimes we get a bad rap uh, that uh, other places uh, don't necessarily have to have, and so we're going to talk about those successes. Uh, we're going to we're going to work uh, to make sure that we have a fiber city. We're going to put fiber everywhere throughout this community, not just in one neighborhood, but every neighborhood is going to have access uh, to fiber. Uh, we're going to continue to take a look at the way that we operate our transportation system. We're going to continue to renovate our downtown. Uh, number two on our strategic goal is elevating housing. And so going back into neighborhoods and reclaiming those and making sure that they see proper uh, investment uh, as well. Um, we are we are in one of the greatest periods of trans transformation from bridges to infrastructure that we've ever been in. And there's not going to be any neighborhoods that are left behind because uh, we're starting to get it. Um, we're, we're stronger when we work together. And, and we have an incredible city council. Uh, you know, we have four uh, black city council members. Uh, and yes, they are black, but they support this entire community. And we're working hard uh, together. And I work with incredible staff. So this is the best time in our history to continue to see the type of change that uh, we want to see, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Speaking about the history, tell us just a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, when you look around some of these Iowa cities, I'm always like, well, how did Black people, you know, end up in Newton, or how did they end up in Keokuk? And then you kind of learn the history behind 
you know, after the Civil War, you know, um, these Black soldiers came back and, you know, started some of these um, little towns that you, it wouldn't seem like there should be Black people in. Tell our listeners a little bit about the origins of Black people in Waterloo. Like, why did we stop there? That is a good question. So uh, a lot of uh, Blacks came up from the South uh, during the Great Migration. Um, there was uh, the railroad. Uh, the railroads are here. And they came up to work. Uh, but the challenge was when they came up to work on the railroads, um, it came to replace striking uh, railroad workers, white workers. So, you know, that really creates a good relationship, right? No, uh, it doesn't. But so they were considered scabs uh, when they came. And, you know, a lot of the blacks lived in concentrated areas. And that's why even today uh, you see a, a high percentage of blacks living uh, in one part of the uh, community, which I, I just moved. I, I'm, I won't tell you how old I am, but I moved for the first time in my life to uh, a different neighborhood probably about seven, eight months ago. Um, but um, that's how that that was the story. And a lot of people came to Waterloo, Iowa, uh, because they felt it was a community of opportunity. It's a place that you can come up and get a livable wage job from John Deere to the rat packing plant at the time was the largest in the entire uh, country. Uh, but there was a lot of work for people uh, to have. And, you know, the change happened during the farm crisis in the 80s. That really hit the city uh, tough, uh, but we've been resilient. Um, you know, now we are getting immigrants from, you know, across the world. We had the first dual uh, French and English class, a kindergarten class. And so we have been a, a hub of uh, diversity. You know, our goal now is to make sure that this is the place of inclusion and opportunity. Excellent. Well, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about Waterloo, know what's coming up, know about you that we didn't talk about? Well, well, just two really quick things. One, uh, we are a city that's, that's on the move. Um, we have worked really hard. We've positioned ourselves in a good position. And this is, this is a great place. Uh, and it's one that you have to come and experience uh, for yourself. Uh, number two, I don't wake up a, a day without being thankful to God for this opportunity to be able to serve. You know, I have three children, uh, two, two uh, young men and a, and, a, and a daughter. And my wife, Cassandra, is a vice principal at one of our local schools. So uh, we're blessed. And number three, I want to thank both of you ladies for all that you do. And I notice. Uh, you know, the quotes that you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, but I just want to tell you that you are heard. Uh, you are valued. Uh, God bless you. And thank you for all that you're doing to make sure that you're educating and bringing forth real conversations about uh, who we are as a community. So thank you. You are welcome. Thank you. Um, wow, that left me without, <laughs> I had one question and mine was, um, what advice would you give to people if they're wanting to be in careers in advocacy, social justice, or community organizing? Like listening to you earlier talk about um, you swept floors, like that's not something people would think to do 
after not winning not one election but two elections like staying involved what were other things you might advise someone that might want to follow your path because let's face it um if people can't see you you're a black man you know and <laughs> In a in a government role in Iowa that we don't often see ourselves. Right, um, that's a good question. Um, I'll probably say one: uh, whatever you do, whatever you advocate for, you know, try to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, the moment, the moment, uh, the work that you do, the advocacy that you do starts to become about you. Uh, then the less is focused on other people. And I've seen incredible elected officials that towards the end of their careers, it was all about them. So make sure, uh, make sure uh, it remains about uh, the initiative or the effort, first and foremost. Two, um, greater good. Um, a lot of people, some people won't like you for the decisions that you make, but you know, your ultimate goal is to be for the greater good of the community or for the initiative. Uh, three, always believe in yourself, uh, regardless if other people do. There's been plenty of times I was never the person that was like, come on, let's get him to do it. You know, but I just had that faith in the God given abilities that God has given uh to to keep on going and what he's placed on my heart and then uh i didn't get here by myself uh so i think they say the same people you see on the way up is the ones that you may see on the way down mm -hmm. uh, so i make sure that you know i try my best to show respect uh to everyone and just continue to go with your conviction last but not least uh also know when to use a feather and when to use a bat mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Ooh, i like it well, uh, when to use a feather and when to use a bat. That is uh, one of the hardest things to do because, you know, sometimes you, you come up against the wall and you're like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go in here and do, do this. Um, when in actuality, there may be another strategy that you, knew, you need to use to actually win that fight that you're in. So focus on what it takes uh, to get that job done versus you know how you feel and so i that's that's something that that i've tried to try to implement um know when to use a feather and when to use a bat and let me just put that up for the context i don't mean physically hurting someone you leave the headlines that would come out of that so right, yeah. Right. yeah i mean you know my next uh campaign commercial against me had it no, we make sure it's clear. We're not going to use no commercials and taking stuff out of context. Right. I appreciate. It. Maybe it's more of a um, get out your feelings and deal with facts, basically. Right. Absolutely. So I understand. I, I know we're to the end. Can I ask y'all a question? Oh. Tell me really quickly before before we end, because you know, folks' attention attention span, mine included, like. When you look out and you see like a black mayor or an elected official or something, tell me like what what are your expectations? Real talk. Okay, go ahead, Leah. My expectations is that you are looking out for the common good, but more realistically, how are you making sure you're looking out for people who look like you? Um, a lot of times I feel some people get in positions and they forget about that. They forget about where they came from and what, what, what they were able. 
Um, like when I was asked about advocating, my advocacy is going to be different. I cannot be stuck on, um, I got to talk to just Republican or I got to just talk to a Democrat. I need to be able to talk to everybody because both sides have a way of being dismissive of things that are important to me. So when I see that elected official, and we'll use Obama, for example, I really wanted to see him be able to achieve things, which I knew it was hard. But when I looked at him, I looked at, hey, you've elevated it so much so that my son sees that he can be in your role next to help move the needle. So that's my quick response. Mine is um, that representation is super important um, because so often we 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 haven't had that, especially in Iowa. So when there's you know black people in positions of power, it means something to me to see them. I'm invested in their success just by our our shared you know culture, our shared history. I think it also for me it means something about access. So if I have questions, if I want to bring my concerns to someone, they'll be listened to, they'll be um, regarded differently. A lot of times, you know, we don't have that access and we don't feel like we can speak freely and clearly about the things that we need. But if there's a Black person in that position, um, to me, then that's access. That's somebody I can go to and say, hey, because they'll understand some of these um They'll understand the redlining. They'll understand why we would be upset because we're not getting this or we perceive that we're not getting something. They, they We don't have to, uh, you know, write a whole book to bring them up to speed as to why they will understand. Um, and it's just also it's inspirational. I mean, we're up against so much in this city, town, state, country. And, um, you know, ultimately, we want this place to be a place where our children our grandchildren can achieve at high levels and that they have access to um, communities that are healthy, um, you know, that aren't polluted, that aren't torn down so that they can go on to do better things. And so it behooves us, um, in my opinion, to make this place, like you're saying, more inclusive. If there are more people who look like us on the board, then without us having to be there to speak, that's somebody that's representing our interests. So I love it and I want to see more of it. And I don't care, you know, there, there'll be some people that'll battle with me in the comments and they'll be like, you know, that's racist, you know, because, you know, you're always talking about black this or black that. Well, when you've been left out of the discussion, when you haven't even been in the building and you're just getting in there, we can talk about our things. We can, we, we can talk about how to build us up and, um, so that's what makes, you know, what I think about when I see more Black people getting elected. You know, you guys, um, Waterloo has uh, what Jerome Amos coming on to the legislature this session representing your area. Like you said, Waterloo has a majority Black um, city council, you know, the only one of its kind in Iowa. That's exciting and more people need to know that because somebody, some child will hear that story and will see you all and we'll be like, like you said, I can do that too, or I can do better. Or, you know, I have somebody to go to that's invested in my success as well. And you know what, Uh, you know, I take a look and just from what you just said, I've never met a person. Well, 95% of the people that we meet in this state, in our communities, 
want the exact same thing. They want a place where their children can be proud of. They want access to opportunity. They want all of those things, right? I haven't heard anyone say that they didn't want that. And the, the leadership challenge for me, uh, for others, is that the pathway to getting there based upon who you are may look different, right? The programs may have to be different. But in order for all of us to be able to live that dream that we have for our families, and that's where, you know, I, you know, trying to create new ways to do things, to be able to realize uh, that dream that we have for people and for our children. So everybody wants to say how we help them. That's where the equity piece comes in to get them to where they need to be. I'm just so stunned. That's the first time we've had a question asked back of us. You know, I've been over here in the seat asking on my microphone, but it's okay. I appreciate it. Um, it it's been great talking with you. I'm excited to, um, I'm glad to see the changes you're making and being able to think outside the box. Um, I think that's a big thing we have to do in our communities overall, especially when you look at the way elections are. Um, my heart dropped when uh, Ross Smith had dropped out um, of the race, but seeing what happened after, I was like, okay, I get it. Um, and how do we get people to support us to get enrolled so we can have that voice? So all of that makes sense. Well, I want to say thank you again for coming on our show today. And um, if you're listening, please like and subscribe to our show, Being Heard, Two Black Women, Coffee and Conversations with Lee and Dana. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Take care.